welcome to The Playlist Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of The Playlist. And for the first episode of 2024, I got a fun interview for you folks. I recently got the chance to speak to Jake Johnson about his new film, Self-Reliance. For those who don't know Jake Johnson, he's probably best known for his role as Nick in The New Girl, but over the past decade or so, he's popped up in a number of big films and TV projects. He's endlessly funny and charming, as you might expect. However, what makes Self-Reliance so interesting is the fact that this film marks his directorial debut. But as you hear in the interview, don't get too used to him behind the camera because it's likely not going to last long. Self-Reliance is a comedy about a middle-aged guy who finds himself invited to take part in a dark web reality show where he's going to be chased by assassins for 30 days. And if he survives, he wins a big cash prize. Why would someone say yes to this sort of game? Well, there's a loophole. You see, if he's around someone else, then he can't be killed. So all he has to do is find someone to shadow him for 30 days, and it's an easy win. In the interview, we talk quite a bit about Self-Reliance and why Johnson decided now is the time to direct a feature film. We also learn why he doesn't feel like directing really is something he wants to pursue much further after this. I also talked to him about one of his Self-Reliance co-stars, Biff Whiff, who's probably best known for his work on I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson. He's the other shirt brother for reference. And finally, we talk about the recent news regarding the TV series Minx getting canceled again and why Johnson has no interest in working on franchise films anymore. But before I play that interview, I got to tell you the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes Deep Focus, The Discourse, Bingeworthy, and more. And if you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, anywhere else you find your favorite shows. Okay, without any further ado, here's my interview with Jake Johnson, the writer, director, and star of the new comedy film Self-Reliance, which arrives on Hulu on January 12th. Enjoy. Hey, Charles. Hi, how are you? Good, but how are you? Doing well. So I've interviewed several actors turned filmmakers. And the one question I always find myself asking, starting with, is why now? Uh, did you always have that director itch with you? And and why is Self-Reliance the movie where you're like, okay, this is it? Uh, I didn't. Uh, um, but I did. I've always uh, been a writer. I started off as a writer first. Um, I started writing plays in New York in the early 2000s. And I thought that was going to be the path. And then I started acting in the plays. Um, and then I started getting work as an actor and then I didn't get any work as a writer. And then I got more work as an actor and then the writer and writing fell off. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then um, in terms of uh, why now I'm 45 years old um, and I do believe the Hollywood game, if you're able to play it, which I've been really lucky is like a wild uh, roller coaster ride that you hold on to a seat as long as you can. And eventually it kicks you off. And in my head, I don't want to just do the same kind of stuff. And I don't take this seat for granted. And when it finally kicks me off, I want to look back and go like, that was a fun ride. And one of them I thought is, I want to try to at least direct one movie before I get kicked off or before my time's up. And so I didn't see it coming. I knew I wanted to do the tone of this movie. I've been trying to make this tone for a long time. And this is a really hard one to tell, pitch another director on because it's a very specific to me tone as the actor. It's really what I like. Who knows how many others like it, but I knew I liked it. And so this was the one I felt like I had to direct. And I really hope to direct a pilot for a TV show. And then I will probably be done directing. <laughs> That's very interesting. But it, it it's something you said just resonated with me. I turned 41 last year and there's something oh, about baby, a little baby boy. <laughs> I don't feel like it. I've got a, a toddler and a and a twelve week infant. Um, 
but yeah, there's oh, something yeah. I I think there is something about that, right? There's something about reaching that age where you're like you you start to take kind of uh, stock of what you've done. Yeah, man, it's ending soon. <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> well, you know, you know, I've got kids too, and my my daughters are ten. And as your kids grow, you know, it just becomes less and less about you. And your the old ego of the twenties and thirties is fading away, and my, my mine is fading. Um, I, I probably need to start shooting some testosterone in my butt to start getting some <laughs> fight back in me, but it's going. And if I didn't take a shot and try to do this, I would just look back and say, like, I missed something because there was an opportunity. And I knew that if I pushed really hard, I knew that I knew how to do this. It was really challenging and it was kind of above my pay grade a lot of the time. And a lot of it was way harder than I expected. I started like I literally started balding. But I'm like, I want to at least try it. I'm not going to be a guy who directs five more movies in my life. I'm not going to be a career gigger in terms of directing. Um, But I was really excited to do it and learn about it and see what it was like and see actors and see crew in a whole different way, see the whole production, do things like color correction, sound design, realize how many jobs that I don't think about as an actor in movies uh, are so important to the movie. Uh, and now I feel really excited to act in something and let everyone else do their great jobs. That's awesome. So yeah. let's let's talk about this movie a little bit. Self-Reliance is about kind of a, I guess the elevator pitch is there's this guy, he's at this midlife crisis sort of point, and he gets invited to take, play, to take part in a dark web game where he's going to be on the run for 30 days from assassins who are trying to kill him. And if if he survives, he wins a big prize. And you you kind of come into it with this loophole idea which is really clever about, you know, as long as he's around somebody, he's safe. And I started falling in the trap when I'm watching the movie of what other loopholes are there? Like, what could I do? And then I started thinking like, wow, as a writer, how do you tackle something where you're, you're inviting people to start to, to game plan and come up with loopholes? Did you, did you fall down that rabbit hole trying to like disprove everything or did you just kind of give up? Uh, I didn't overly care. Uh, I yeah, honestly, the premise for me uh, made me laugh. The idea of this game and here's the loophole and then the turn of his family doesn't believe him. <laughs> uh, and the idea then of everything that you go through that feel it was really it was a real pandemic movie for me because I would go through something really intense with like, you know, some road on the Internet I was reading about that I now like figured out some truth and this truth was real life, man. And then I would like talk to a friend and they would go like, man, you got to talk to some people. You're getting <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, man, everything is just getting so funky. So really, I wanted the idea of this, the premise and the game of the movie for me was just create situations where the scenes are really funny. The characters are really funny. I wanted great actors like Chris Lloyd coming in, crushing it. Um, that scene meant a lot to me. Gata's performance is so great. Biff Whiff. Having these like great moments building together, I was like, yeah, for me, I was like, I like it. And obviously there will be there will be ways somebody would go. Like somebody said to me early on, why doesn't he just hire a hooker? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, could have done that. <laughs> You're not wrong. And I was like, but this was this was the path kind of I went down in my head. And that's 
you know, why it's my movie, I guess. I want to get to the supporting cast in a, in a second, but I want to continue with this because there's a, I don't want to get into spoilers, but there's a point in the movie where I thought of this amazing documentary I watched last year called The Contestant, which is about a Japanese man who's like the first reality show. Yes. So that was the original premise. Okay. Of that <laughs> game was the original idea for this, that Japanese show about the guy who goes. Yep. Um, gets yes. locked in. So I had heard of that show when it was coming out. My friends and I were getting obsessed with Japanese reality shows. And we talked about it all the time as like this idea of like, the Roman Empire is going to fall, man. We are locking fools in rooms and they're starving to death for our entertainment. And in my honest moments, I would think I would watch it. And then when yeah. I really asked myself, what else would I watch? And then when like UFC was first, when it used to be on VHS tapes. Oh, God, Blockbuster, loved it. Me too. <laughs> and now all that shit's mainstream. And then if you remember, if you were into that stuff, if you're, you know, kind of our age, sorry to date you, but you know, when that stuff started and there was a lot of blood, we all thought it was too much. And you had senators saying it's cockfighting. Well, now it's ESPN, which is owned by Disney. Yeah. And I'm like, man, we just keep changing. And so it's funny you bring up that show because that show is the original idea. Like, honestly, in press, it's easier to say things like The Game or Hunger Games, but those were not the inspiration. The well, inspiration there's a... was that was Japanese reality shows <laughs> where they are humiliating people and the people are saying in it like, I don't like this, which gets a huge laugh. Yeah. And they're saying even afterwards, like, I hated that. Yeah. And there's like, there's a moment, there's a, a line and, and a scene where I'm where it just was like, oh, I see it. Um <laughs> it should, like, and so I wanted to create something where Tommy is something like that. And so how would you get there? Well, you're lonely, things aren't going great. Someone you're a fan of pulls up. And then yeah. you think. Because I would think that's an easy win. My family will support unless they think you're lying. <laughs> and then you're like, no, motherfuckers, I'm not lying, you assholes. And, I'm like, and then you're in a bad spot because the rules of the games that matter to me is once you say yes, there's no way out. Right. So now you go, well, had I known you guys would have said no, I never would have done it. Yeah. And you go, well, now the, the people found you. So now for me... That's the game, but it's really funny you bring up the contestant. I don't pronounce the name of the show because I'm dyslexic and I don't want to like offend and say it wrong, but it is based off of that show. Yeah. Well, there's a documentary. I think it's coming out later this year called The Contestant. I saw it at a film festival and it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, highly recommend. But uh, so that's good. So I want to talk about the supporting cast because you mentioned uh, a person near and dear to my heart, Biff Whiff. And uh, I'm a huge fan of I Think You Should Leave. And when he first showed up, I just, I think the grin never left my face. Same. So I'm wondering what was it like to write, direct, star in this movie and then get overshadowed by Biff Whiff? <laughs> it's uh, what I had, what was hoping happened. Um, so I had, I know Tim, uh, I'm a fan of his and I'm a fan of that show, but I hadn't seen it before I saw Biff Whiff's audition. But afterwards I contacted Tim and got the, you will not lose hiring Biff with. So for me, the James character is the pivotal character in the movie. I genuinely think it's more important than the Maddie character played by the great Anna Kendrick. 
I think it's uh, probably more important tonally than Tommy, even though Tommy's in every scene. And the reason is, is if Biff Whiff, because I, I auditioned tons of great actors for that. And a lot of these actors played it. The, the note I gave everybody is you got to play it real. Grounded, 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 real, real, real. Get the comedy out of the truth of it. The truth of that character is that he is without a home. The reality of that, which we all know, is really sad. So these scenes, the, one of the audition pieces was the scene at the end where he says, like, my name isn't James, it's Walter. People were doing Oscar-winning performances. And I was like, I don't know what movie I'm making. This is the weirdest thing that I've ever seen scene and i like weird but this mm -hmm. isn't gonna work <laughs> where i'm like this is james and then an actor would go like he pays me to shadow him and that's what <laughs> i'm gonna do i was like "Ooh, <laughs> no bueno and then biff line one take one he started and i was like oh my god he's it and then i just said like sir are you willing to take your teeth out and he goes, absolutely. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and so quite literally, he was the first person I presented to MRC in terms of getting cast approval. And I said, like, you know, there's always some debates and fights. I said, like, please, this guy is it. I can't, you know, you always do like you put three options forward, then you put one you don't like, one in the middle, and one you love. I was like, I can't play any of these like cute games. It has to be Biff or I don't know what the movie is. And they were like, we agree. And then Biff, as soon as he got to set, it was just very clear, this is the tone. And for me as a director, when I would get confused of the tone, it was always uh, Biff I'd go back to. That's awesome. So, yeah. yeah, you mentioned Anna Kendrick. You mentioned, you know, we talk about the supporting cast. There's other people like Emily Hampshire, who's great. Oh, Mary cool. Holland, Eduardo Frank Franco, Daryl Johnson, Natalie Morales, all these people. Yes. So uh, was this just were any of these people difficult to land like Biff or or was it just, you know, people you knew you're like, hey, just come in, do a line, steal the scene? Yeah, it's not. I mean, honestly, I, the only people I knew in this, I knew Andy. Uh, and so, and Andy's obviously producing it too. So having Andy at the, at the beginning of the movie, I knew we were in good shape comedically. He was going to really help set the tone. Uh, and Anna, we had worked together on drinking buddies, but we weren't in much touch. And so we just sent her the script and I honestly was expecting a pass cause she's, you know, she's not a number two. So I, she did me a favor by doing this, but the truth of the matter is, is Anna's not a supporting part. I think she just had eight days off in LA and wanted <laughs> to have a little bit of fun. Uh, but everybody else, the Eduardo Francos, Chris Lodes, the Gaitas, Natalie Morales, uh, all these people, I didn't know. We just reached out. I was just a fan of. You know, Gaitas, I hadn't seen Dave at the time. Uh, so I didn't know wow. him. I just saw his, his audition was just spectacular. And so after that, they then sent me his episode where uh, he talks about bipolar. Mm. And, you know, I'm like, this dude's making me cry. This is an actor, man. So he was easy. Chris Lloyd, I've been a fan of since Taxi. Uh, I've always wanted to do a father-son with him. Uh, I just think he's great. Eduardo Franco was perfect as the ninja. Natalie Morales, I've just been a fan of. Uh, Daryl Johnson, I had seen in a commercial about eight years ago. And he was so memorable that I had been trying to find him. And finally, my buddy, Eric Edelstein, who plays the bouncer, 
knew him through drunk history and was like, is this the guy you're talking about? But I had written his part in my script, uh, Daryl slash that guy from a commercial. <laughs> so it just really came to that. The fun thing about a director being a director is that you get to handpick the team. So everybody, the guy in line, the Michael Jackson guy, his audition, he auditioned to be Eduardo's part. And he didn't quite work there, but he was so funny that we just like, we have to find something for him. Like he just yeah. gets a laugh on every line. Yeah. So I only have a few more minutes. I want to talk, talk about a couple other things. Uh, Cause one thing that really struck me, I read an interview with you and this was from last year and you were talking about picking the roles you pick and you were specifically relaying a, a an experience you had with Tom Cruise during the mummy where you were basically saying like seeing that convinced you like I don't want to be part of this you were talking about how you you were you were content with doing kind of passion projects and you weren't chasing the blockbusters um and it seems like outside of the Spider-Man movies you kind of stuck true to that is that is that still kind of your path going forward no regrets yeah no regrets at all um there's a big part of the business that um I've just never personally cared about um and I, I don't have any bad things about it. I just don't care about it. And so big blockbuster movies, I don't watch. And that level of movie is not something that excites me. And it excites a ton of people. And it obviously excites a ton of fans. So great. Um, but there's a, like a lot of that stuff I don't care about. Um, and so there's a whole engine to the Hollywood game that it all feeds each other and it feeds itself. And I've never felt a part of it. And when I've pretended to be a part of it, thinking it was going to help my career, I've always felt like I've got a mustard stain on my shirt and everybody can see it. And I've not seen like a dark underbelly of Hollywood. It's just more like they're all involved in this pageant and I don't know why I'm here. Right. And so telling stories, acting, writing, you know, now doing this podcast, anything that has anything to do with creation for me and working with people who really make me laugh and inspire me feels awesome. And that feels very right. But being part of a big thing with a huge corporation behind it, uh, you just start getting in meetings and stuff and discussions that I couldn't care less about. And a lot of it is money for a corporation's pocket. And I'm like, who cares? <laughs> well, Why do I care if Coca-Cola makes a lot of money? What does that have to do with me? That's true. W one of those uh, kind of playing off that, I, I, I'd i be remiss if I didn't talk about Minx. Um, yeah. Because that is kind of, uh, I think it's going to hold this kind of cultural spot. And like when we start talking about where we were in the 2020s, as far as streaming and, and all that, because this is a show that uh, was critically acclaimed, people loved was part of this like massive uh, wave of cancellations from a big corporation, yeah. but revived. And then, you know, sadly is, is, is going again. And I'm curious as, as somebody who you weren't behind the scenes on that as much, you're, you're one of the leads. What was that like, you know, filming this show that you're passionate about, but then watching it kind of get mangled in the process? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the right way of putting it. And the truth of the matter is, is I think in the old Hollywood in the old model, it would have been really devastating. And it would have been like, you know, like kid, you moved out here from Kansas. You got your one shot and MGM fucked you. But that's just <laughs> not the game anymore. Like, you know, honestly, if we reset it, I would have done it. I would have done the exact same thing. We still got to make 18 episodes of a show that was a lot of fun. I loved playing Doug Renetti. I think Ellen wrote a great character. I would play Doug Renetti again in a heartbeat. 
So, so we got, you know, 18 episodes and then canceled. And I don't know who watched it on stars, if anybody, do you know, like, I don't, I don't know, but that part of it, I can't control. And the reason that there's a big difference with critics liking things and people liking things, which I don't think used to be the case. I think it used to be one thing and it used to be, you really needed critics to like it in order for people to find it and care about it. I don't think they're connected anymore. So the reason that the critics liked it is I think stars and HBO sent them links <laughs> <laughs> and people watched it and gave it a chance because their job was to write about it. And I think regular people in the world didn't get those links. And had they all been forced to get a link to write about it, we would still be making it. <laughs> so I think for me, my kind of game that I've learned with the podcast, which has been really tripping me out because the numbers we're doing on the podcast are massive compared to the shows we're doing. And I'm like, oh, because this is direct to audience. So the big kick for me that's more exciting than, you know, a big franchise is how to make a passion project like it makes and actually connect it to the audience. So rather than, you know, some big studio spent half a billion to market, but they made 5 billion and blah, blah, blah. And then we get all these bonuses, but we need to go to China and do a nine week prep. And I'm like, man, you're controlling my life for two years. All I want to do is make a story with people I really like. And I really want audiences to like it. And if audiences don't like it, you're wasting your fucking time. And hopefully critics like it. And hopefully the town likes it. But I am for the first time really seeing that as secondary. So I'm like, the whole game for me is like, man, how do you get a direct link to people? Because Minx was, I think, a lot of fun. I think Ellen is a monster talent. Who knows if anybody saw that besides the critics? And it was great talking to critics about it. Honestly, the best takes we heard as a cast, we would talk about it, is we would do a junket and we'd be like, people are watching. <laughs> 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 yeah well i gotta i gotta wrap up but uh thank you so much for, for spending time with me and, and talking about this stuff self-reliance is a lot of fun it's yeah. it's really good and i i hope you actually yeah. do keep directing even though you you've basically said no um but yeah thank you yeah i think it's too uh, i think it's too hard and there's too many good directors <laughs> fair enough <laughs> all right thank you jake thanks charles uh,